Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 45. On this episode, I have Aaron Fennell from 21st Century Equipment and Zach Heiner from Sullivan Auctioneers. On this episode, we are going to uh, kind of hit what we see happening in the auction market. Zach was kind enough to stop by while he was in town and he agreed to be on the podcast. And what really what kind of sparked the whole thing was a Facebook post that Machinery Pete put out that, that Sullivan's did where they had an 8400 that sold for 100000 bucks, And, and uh, that was a pretty big number for a machine like that so um zach aaron welcome to the show you bet you bet casey okay pleasure well, to be here thanks man well so before we get too more carried away into what's happening here zach why don't you give me a little background on yourself and your experience in the auction industry okay well zach uh zach here grew up in northeast indiana still live there uh grew up in the farming community still farm a little bit with my dad um Got in the auction business, uh, I must say, basically right out of high school. And, you know, started up uh, sorting wagons, sorting tools and doing that stuff and just moved up the ranks from there. But uh, I was with another company up until uh, four years ago, traveled all over the country selling real estate and farm machinery and, you know, kind of really got to meet people out in this part of the country in western Nebraska and down in the panhandle of Texas and uh, partnered up here with Sullivan's a couple years ago and just really really have seen just a lot of iron and we've moved a lot of iron in the last couple of years here at the auction market and uh, just been blessed to be able to do what i do good so we went through 2017 now we're heading to 2018 where did you see 2017 starting how, and how did you feel like the auction values progressed throughout the year you know i think we kept you talk to people in this business and you always kept hearing the fear, the word fear, word fear. The fear was out of it. And I think by 17, the fear definitely was out of it. But the the uh, the nervousness or the skeptical was still there for certain people. I think in 17, it held in there uh, like, like guys like us thought it would or even probably even better. I mean, here at the end of the year, we had some just phenomenal sales. And I know you guys have talked about some of them there, but uh, – to be honest, there was a couple sales that I pulled into that, uh, you know, I thought, boy, this might be the one we stumble, and they just really, really carried out and held right in there. So what do you think a lot of that, just from the the guys you talk to, and you talk to a lot of end users that when you're when you're out and about doing what you're doing, and you also talk to a lot of dealers as well, but the end users that you talk to, what do you think their driving factor is for, for some of the values that you've seen on some of this equipment? You know... Everywhere you go, equipment's different. I don't care. You know, everybody says an 8400 is an 8400 or a R-Series tractor is an R-Series tractor, and that's just not the case. You know, the, the the guys that I deal with the most, hey, we're Midwest guys. I get out here in western Nebraska a lot. But the guys that are going to pay that top auction price, you know, uh, the, some of those numbers that we've seen, I'm going to tell you they follow us quite a bit for – Hey, our reputation and when the way we represent equipment is the way it is, you know, and that's that's a, that's a huge thing that I've always stressed since I've been in this business. And it might cost you some money sometimes on your average or below average equipment, but when you get some of the sales, the caliber of sales that we've had, it just it really really makes you shine and excel. But uh, the marketing, the marketing, just since I've been in this thing, and I tell everybody the last ten years, it just it still amazes me every day how the marketing and this game has changed, you know, and it's just the way that we used to quote deals two years ago and your marketing and what it was going to take is, is just full circle turn from just a couple years ago. I think it's hard to find another company that, that is as, um, 
prevalent when it comes to internet marketing. I think Sullivan does a great job with how they present stuff on the internet, social media, all the other places that they have stuff going. So kind of give a rundown of when you're looking at a sale, like what do you think is the most important thing when you start looking at, at marketing? Uh, you know, I, I think don't try to be smarter than your buyer. I mean, that's, you know, sometimes guys will just say, well, we need to focus on this market for this kind of equipment. And I've traveled the country enough and I'm going to say I've traveled the country probably as much as anybody, just because when I was in this deal more in the real estate, you know, I spent a lot of time on the Eastern seaboard and spent a lot of time down in North Carolina. Like I said, I, I basically lived in the panhandle of Texas one summer. And even though you think they're so much different than you, there's always that one guy that, that needs that same thing that somebody in the Midwest needs, you know? So, and when you start looking at today's market, what some of this marketing costs and the way you can do emails and, you know, uh, use your, use your machine, repeat Facebook stuff. And, you know, just the, the stuff that really is a mass marketing tool that you can just, you know, 500 of those people might have no interest whatsoever, but all it takes is that one guy. And that 8,400 we had last week was a prime example of it. You know, I had calls on that tractor literally from coast to coast. Some of the guys that called right away, you know, thought that was a $50,000 tractor. And I told them, <laughs> told them what it was and their fennel's uh, laughing because we just discussed this earlier, but you know, and Hey, I take the time and talk to them and tell them what I think and everything else. But, um, you wouldn't believe the calls on that tractor I had that I kind of gave guys a range of what I thought it would bring. And they just thought I was crazy. Well, that's, that's when you can throw your average 8,400 results just out the window and throw your book out the window. But that tractor ended up and went to Maryland and, uh, you know, when the kid first called and we first talked about it, I didn't even know for sure if he was going to show up to the sale. So just don't ever underestimate your end user, I guess, is what I'm getting at there. Yeah. So Aaron, you, you watch the auction quite a bit. You see keep up on what's going on there. Um, I don't know if you actually listened to that auction live or not when it was going on. But I read the Facebook post and I was, I was shocked. I'm always shocked, too, when that stuff comes across because you're looking at a $100,000 tractor. <clears throat> And you can get for another twenty five or thirty thousand more. You can get a tractor that's fifteen or twenty years newer than that one is. So, give me your take on that tractor and what you saw happen there. Well, I commented on that post right away that I honestly wasn't surprised. You get so much of that one off stuff like that that you know there are, you know, it's just it, it's kind of tied in with the old adage: if John Deere made a forty twenty today. Just like it was, you know, of course, now it would be a $50,000 tractor, but guys would buy it because that's what they want. You know, the guy that bought that doesn't want a 3,000 hour 8295R. He wants an 8400 that's yep. basically new. He, he, want, he doesn't want def. He doesn't want the electronic right. stuff to go with it. He wants to put a steering valve on it and, and, and do some auto track, and that's about yeah. as much as he's that, going to that's, do. That's as old and blue blood as you can get and have integrated auto track. Right. And that was probably well, – that probably perked his ears and raised his tail more than anything. Aaron said it, Aaron said it didn't surprise him. I'm going to tell you, it surprised me a little bit, but uh, when I walked in the shed, when, when – when, uh, John Stuber there was the seller, Bear Creek Farms. I've known John for several years. Uh, it wasn't somebody I checked in on every week, but talked to him when, you know, when I seen him and everything. When he called me and said he wanted to have that sale, I was familiar that he had that tractor. So when I went out there and walked through his shed, and I knew the guy that bought that tractor knew, and I looked at it again, and, hey, you know, to be real honest with you, that tractor, 
that tractor needed a good wax. I mean, it was just, it was legit, legit as can be, but John, John wasn't the guy that put a coat of wax on it, but he took care of it. But you know, it wasn't one that you just turned on and just shined like a, like a 10 out of a 10, but you know, it's a, it was just right. It was just right. And I kind of had a number in my mind then and kicked it around. And I think I might even called Aaron and talked to Aaron about it and said, what do you think? You know, and of course it was, we just talked about it. It's a unicorn. But uh, the day before the sale, I told uh, John Probasco that works for us out of Iowa and, you know, good rep that we got out of Iowa that does a lot of stuff. And he kind of farms like me, farms small and likes that older stuff too. I said, you know, I said, hey, that tractor might bring, might bring in the eighties. And John kind of agreed with me and talked to some of the other Sullivan guys. And they said, boy, Zach, I think you're a little steep on that thing. Well, it was bid up to 77 before the Internet even started. And there was, you know, three bidders on that thing over 90. And uh, it just it just shows you I can rationalize it. I really can. I know a lot of the people say it's crazy. But, you know, those tractors are pretty much known. I mean, yeah. how many of them do you guys see on the market that's got 10,000 hours on them? And they haven't been touched. They haven't had an engine overhaul. So you take that kid from Maryland. He was a younger kid, super nice family. His dad came with him. He's got an if he's got an eight thousand hour tractor yet. That tractor had twenty five hundred hours on it. If he's got seven eight thousand hours of basically major maintenance free, you're not going to do that with a lot of tractors nowadays. Well, yeah, and keep in mind it was it was a ninety nine, right? Yeah, it was a ninety nine. So it was the last of the aught. You got a little bit of romance in that. And they sure as hell had the aughts figured out by then. You know, it wasn't the 95s that had all the updates or the 96s. <clears throat> so the late ones are going to bring more. Anyway. But, yeah, to your point, we have had, you know, we got feedlots out here. And we've had 20,000 hour 8400s, not a straight piece on them anywhere. Bald tires, never been touched. And they scrape shit with them every day. And they yeah. still do the job. Yeah. yeah. Get out there and do the job all day. And even when that thing is ragged and beat to death, it's, you know, I'm I'm a huge Soundguard body fan, but I'd rather sit in a beat to death 8400 than an average 4955, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The one thing I always like about these auctions when stuff like this comes across and you see that unicorn, that 2500-hour, 20-plus-year-old tractor come across is – is that I know when that thing sold for a hundred thousand bucks that if I put it on my lot and I was asking a hundred thousand dollars for it, I never would have sniffed it. <laughs> never would have never would have happened. And that's what I like about these auctions when you watch them is that that frenzy starts. You start seeing that frenzy start taking place, and one guy calls in and thinks I'm going to buy it for fifty or sixty thousand, and then it gets to his number and he's like, "Well, I'll hit it another five grand." Or and the next thing you know, he's hit it. 20 grand. 20 grand, <laughs> 25,000, and he's banging 85, 90,000 bucks for something that he really intended to only spend about 50 or 60,000 dollars on. So when you see that kind of stuff take place and the guys that you're consulting on the phone, Zach, how, how do you see that progression start and how do you see it finish? Well, it, it starts from day one. Once that marketing goes out there, and I tell you, I try to keep things a little bit sheltered. You know, I want to hit that marketing all at once. I want it to. I want, I want everybody to be calling at once. You know, I don't want to send it to a couple people and then not have it on the website yet, have it on the brochure yet. But at the end of the day, you know, hey, I love dealing with our buyers. I mean, I, we, we wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for the buyers, but we're always working for the sellers. I mean, if, you know, whether it's whether it's you guys listening eventually want to have a sale or, you know, the guy farming retiring, we're working for our sellers. So, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to call it steering or, you know, just a, just a different way of, of marketing that thing. But 
when that guy calls and, and he gives you the range that he thinks he can buy that tractor for and you, hey you don't hang up the phone on him and tell him he's wasting your time you you give him the examples and tell him what we just talked about the 8000 hour bulletproof tractors and you know you let you let him be the judge of it but uh, i've just learned a long time in this business whether you're selling real estate or you're selling equipment just don't don't ever underestimate and don't be smarter than the the guy that's going to write the check at the end of the day because i've been surprised just just many and many a times been surprised on what I thought a guy was going to spend to the excitement of what he did spend when it came you know when it came to the end of the day and and that kid when he pulled in there that day hey he was as serious a buyer as anybody first of all he drove all the way from Maryland yeah. you know and showed up there in the morning and he was ready to set his satchel down and buy that tractor but I think if you uh, if you uh, put a lie detector on him he thought he was going to buy the tractor a little cheaper along with everybody else. But when you put him in the heat of the moment and, hey, I told him, I don't know if any of you guys watched the video, but you'll see in the video when we when we were, I think, around 90,000, 92,000, somewhere in there, he was starting to hit the air brakes a little bit. And uh, his dad was, you know, they were starting to think about it in there. And I just put my hand on his shoulder and I just told him, I said, guys, you're just, you're not, if you're looking for one of these tractors, just where are you going to find one? I mean, right. I, like I said, I've been to the Panhandle of Texas and out here in western Nebraska. I was in Colorado yesterday, be in Maryland next week, and you just, I'm not, those tractors are out there, but just find them for sale, you know, find right. them for sale. The thing you know, about, go ahead. Go ahead. I have, as far as the marketing thing goes, and this just comes because we're sitting here talking about auction marketing, and there toward the end of the year, a lot of people, you know, different people on Casey's podcast were talking about the uh, the Christmas catalog, if you will, that Sullivan puts out. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And they do, you know, individual ones for, you know, like Sinclair had its own catalog and bigger stuff like that. <coughs> do you ever, I'd be curious to know, and if you can tell, do you get, how? what percentage of calls do you still get from the Christmas catalog, if you will? Any way to tell? That's always a hard, you know, that's one of those ones I'll always, I'm going to defer the question because I don't think you could ever prove it. And I always ask questions. I always like to ask the buyer, how did you hear about it or how did you see it? Now, here's what I'll say from the company standpoint is that's priceless marketing. That that might not be your buyer. That might not be your buyer at any of those sales in there, but that might be your next seller. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a, it's it, you know this thing's evolving it's changing i'm really leaning towards the, the, the you know the 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 buyers are going to be your your emails your your facebook stuff and a lot of that kind of stuff uh there's still a hard copy brochure though it's you can't cut short on it because um a lot of the times you'll see a guy and i always say you know the guy that's usually going to pay the most money for it is standing there leaning on the front tire. Got, yeah. that, got that look in his eye before you go up to it. You know, hey, this internet change thing has really changed this whole market and internet bidding and pushing it and everything else. But I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, nine times out of ten, when you get these kind of results that we're talking about, that guy is either standing there leaning on that front tire, put his hands on that tractor, or if he is bidding online at his convenience, he came and looked at the thing, and uh, or he's done business with me or somebody else in the past, and he knows when I put my eyes on it, that's what it is. But uh, that the marketing thing, you know, it's a 
like I said, it's it's one of those ones you can always try to run that data, but it's always tough to prove. And I just, I know me as the business end of it, you just keep doing what works. You know, you just keep doing what oh, works. Yeah. And as long as it's uh, somewhat cost effective, you just keep doing it. So I got that, me and Aaron got that catalog on the same day. And we had, we showed up here in Bridgeport for the for a, a meeting of some sort. I had my, he had his. And I remember my, my response to that was like, this kind of reminds me of like when you got the Sears or JCPenney catalog when you were a kid and you started flipping through it and started making your Christmas list. And that's what that's what we were doing because we were we were in a buying mode at the point. We were trying to find as much equipment as we could. And that was a great resource to go through and find some of that stuff. And so the last two auctions at the end of the year that you guys put together, one was that was the Sinclair auction and that SEMA auction. Um, and there were several retirement sales there throughout the uh, throughout the middle of December and, and, the, and the end of, of November as well. But... Uh, I think you had what thirty auctions in thirty-five days or something like that. Yeah, I think we had you know, just equipment auctions. We had thirty, and I think you had the real estate in there. We were seventy-some auctions from the end of November to January one. Yes. What was the uh, this is the Sinclair Tractor auction was the first auction that I'd went to, where internet didn't necessarily play the same role that it traditionally played. Most of that stuff stayed right there within the guys, like you said, leaning on the front tire, raising their hand. I mean, that was where most of that stuff stayed at. So. As you watch the kind of progression of the auction market here over the next, where it's came from in the last five years and where it's headed into the future, how much how much of the internet is playing a, a part of what you guys do as far as marketing goes and as far as as your as your proxy bid uh, approach to the sales go? Well, I think that you know the you take the sale back to we keep coming back to this eighty four hundred, but what really surprised me is. You know, that's the right kind of marketable equipment we had. I mean, I think there's no discussion there that the, you know, retirement farmer, 9650, 8400, that kind of stuff, it's the right kind of stuff. But when I really sat down at the end of the sale and looked at that stuff, we had a huge internet presence there that day. And usually at your local farm retirement sales, you know, it, it's not that way. But uh, that 8400 tractor, like I said, the guy was live there in the ring, went to Maryland. You had a 4700 sprayer that was carrying some low hours. Uh, that thing went to Pennsylvania, sold online. You had a 9650 combine that uh, was a four-wheel drive, you know, once again, carrying the right hours, sold online and went to Tennessee. So if you would have asked me before we started that sale where I thought that stuff would go, I would have thought the 8400 might have went anywhere. I mean, that would have been just, you know, spin the spin the United States and drop a finger. But as far as the rest of that stuff, I would have thought that thing that stuff would have stayed within a couple hour radius there of you know Indiana, Ohio, Michigan like it normally does. The, the internet thing to me is is gonna be the future of it. I mean it's this there ain't nobody that likes a live auction better than me, but you guys was up at SEMA. You saw the crowd there at SEMA. Hey, the, the weather played a little bit of a part in that. The year before we were at SEMA, you were shoulder-to-shoulder people. You couldn't move. Uh, this year up at SEMA, it was a little bit colder. It was a little bit windier. Uh, we did offer the free internet bidding up there, but the amount of stuff there that sold online compared to Sinclair, I'm going to say was a 360 turn. I'm oh, a, I mean, I haven't actually been in the office yet to look at the numbers and the difference, but um, it's just – Different parts of the country, just people do things different. Weather plays into that. But the Internet thing is just, uh, you know, hey, when, when I started with the other company I was with and we started playing around with the Internet, you had, you know, when it first started, just like anything else, you had some more issues. You had Internet connections. You had, you know, cell phone connections. And there was, there was just every year you just have less and less and less of that. 
which builds the confidence in it when a guy knows that he don't have to sit out there in the cold. But the other thing I wanted to touch base on, you go back to that Sinclair tractor, you know, I had 21st Century's first sale. It was an auction manager at their first sale. And Casey, I don't believe you were here then, but, you know, Aaron was. And anytime you have a first sale like that, the first thing, it's it's a lot more of an event. And a lot of people come to, a lot of people come just to come in the event and see what it's all about. See what it's all about. And hey, they might not actually be in buyers. They might not actually be in buyers and it doesn't affect the bottom line of it at all. But uh, I always say you can't get enough people to sale no matter what. You know, if you could, if you could somehow discreetly give out a $10 bill to everybody that registers, it just, <laughs> it just looks a lot better to the general public when there's more people there competent. Well, everybody's got to get their hot dog. Yeah, everybody's got to get their free hot dog, you know, and that's, that's back to the, when, when, when people like to get negative on the market, and that's just what we've had the last couple of years here, you know, the, 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 the guys just like to tell you the negative end of it and don't be positive. When you roll into a sale and there's just not a big crowd there, it, it's just real easy for people to get negative again on, well, hey, maybe this thing's maybe this thing just is as bad as we think it is. So I still try to do everything we can do to get the crowd, get the live crowd there, and incorporate incorporate the internet. You know, the, the best we can to do that. You know, so you know, Dan Sullivan likes to buy free lunch all the time, and some people say, why does he do that? Well, if that gets a few of the guys out of the coffee shop, I, you know, I, I think it does. People persuade other people, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And you roll into a sale and you just don't have quite the crowd. It just, I think, sometimes uh, feeds that fire of the negative market. I don't think you, I don't know if you guys agree with that or tell me I'm crazy, but. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, and I, I you know, right. conversely, I've been at an auction before where, you know, there's not a lot of people there, about half of what you would think. And stuff starts going cheap. And, you know, you see guys on the phone calling other guys. And then pretty soon, because of that, you know, they're spreading the word with their friends, probably calling back somebody <laughs> bidding online or what have you. Pretty soon it turns into something legit just by, just by you know, the complete opposite reaction type scenario. Yeah. Now, I think what I like about the live auction coupled with the internet bidding is that you get, you know, like take the SEMA thing. I mean, I take you Sinclair, for example. So we were sitting there. And there were there were probably I don't know seven or eight guys that we knew that I knew that were there that were dealer guys that I knew um, some local guys and there were some guys that traveled a long ways to come watch that sale and because it was a it was a big deal I mean it was eleven and a half million dollars or something like that that got sold there um, that was a that was a it had a big effect on the marketplace I mean it could have really if that sale would have went south and values would have would have taken off and went backwards on it would have went backwards on them. That could have been a, a market setter for the for the whole place, and it actually it did turn into a market setter as far as what the overall retail value cost, uh, the, what the retail stuff was for a positive reaction because we went there to buy stuff because I'm like, man, there is no way these six sixties are going to go for any. I mean, there's too many of them. There's too many of them all in the same place, relatively same spec, relatively same hours. Nothing about them that separated them from each other. There were twenty. Five combines or twenty combines or something like that. I think there was twenty two S just S series. Yeah. I think twenty two and thirty five total or something. Yeah, so like. I mean there was, I'm well, like, yeah, there was even a lot of seventy series. Yeah, models. so I'm thinking to myself like we're gonna go to this, we're gonna buy some cheap combines, we're gonna bring them back here, and we're gonna build some and uh, do a hit. We the numbers that we put on stuff, it was that stuff was some for what we were pretty close to what our retail value of our stuff was. I mean we were within. Ten thousand bucks, fifteen thousand bucks of what some of our retail numbers were, which tells me when I watch that that the that the volatility in the marketplace has really simmered way down. 
and we don't have those those wide swings that we have to worry about anymore. I think I don't want to say anymore because we do have to worry about them. But a lot of that, you never know what the next sale is going to bring. It's probably done to a part. What do you think about that? Yeah, Zach? I mean, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you when it comes to that having a big sale like <clears> that. I I'd like to tell you I'm probably about as humble as anybody, and I, I try to come home and sit back and look and try to explain what happened when you when you have sales like that. Now, I wasn't directly involved in that sale. Um, you know, I, I did work at sale day, but as far as the nuts and bolts mechanics of it from putting a list together and everything, but I was just like you, Casey. Like I said, I, uh, I worked for the company, but when I pulled in there, I thought for sure this was going to be the one that maybe Casey Seymour and Aaron Fennell were talking about, that uh, boy, we had a little stumble in the market. And that wasn't the case. But go back to what I want to go back. You go back to July. I think it was July 1st when you talk about a you know, market setting sale 2015, the South Fork sale out here. That was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 you you want to look at the gray hairs in my head and my beard right now. A lot of them was uh, from that summer. You know, that you talk about uncertainty and, and volatility and nobody. Nobody knew what things were going to happen, and we had numbers on that stuff, and, you know, that was a pretty detailed deal. We had numbers. I had numbers, and I would call guys like you guys and try to make sure we was in the and, – and, and at the end of the day, when we started those opening announcements, I think there could have been a 30 to 40% swing in that thing from what everybody that we all considered educated yeah. would have been in that thing. And once we turned the corner and sold them first couple combines – once we turned the corner, I, I, you know, I thought, boy, we're, we're there. We're home if it continues like this. But what I what I getting at there, you know, that was a big one that uh, when that market started changing that I kind of, and Sullivan's do this now at all their sales is when, when, the, when, the, when the buyer, when the buyer doesn't know what the market is, let alone us educated people didn't know what the market was going to market was going to be is. I wanted to split that stuff up and give guys time to think, readjust, like Fennel said earlier. If if we would have took off and had a down sale there and things not been what we thought, that somebody's got time to go get on the phone and call a banker or call a partner, and we didn't have every single combine sold by the time they were done. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, after we, we rolled off of that one, that's kind of the mindset that we took, that while the uncertainty's there and and, you know, people say the bottom's there but while some of these farmers have not followed the auction market at the end of the day there's still some of those guys that all they do is look at just retail price at their local dealer and and you know when they come to a sale sometimes they don't even realize what they can buy that combine for or what they can buy that tractor for so they weren't prepared to buy it so if you got those light kind tractors i just do not like anymore to pile three or four of them all up in a row and, and do that but I had a call the day after South Forks, and uh, you know it, it rolled into that Oregon Trail uh, sale there at Beatrice. And when I pulled in there and went in there and met with Rick, you know he kind of made the joke he wanted to duplicate what I did the day before. And I said, Rick, I could never promise that to anybody. <laughs> I said I, I'm still trying to get my head around what happened that day, and I still to this day sitting here, you know, don't quite know everything that happened that day and why why it did happen that day. So, you know, it's just, you just do everything you can do. And at the end of the day, you sit back and take it in and you just, you just adjust and hope you're doing things right, I guess is what I'm getting at. There was a, a lot of things that were from a timing perspective on that, that South Fork sale that happened that really 
drove that market. I mean, one, it was right before corn harvest. Guys were coming there to buy their, this, this year's machine, right? And I think, if I remember correctly, there was a there was a bump in corn or wheat or something. Wheat, right wheat there. was up way, way high, yeah. and it rained. That, right. That, there was a big yeah. regional yeah. rain the, like yeah. the day before that. Yep. But, so it rained and wheat went up, Yeah. and they were one-year-old machines. Right. But the but and it was like holy shit, man. Yeah. The thing about that too, though, that in the in retrospect, all the sales before that and all the sales after that didn't even touch those, right. com those combines. <laughs> weren't even nothing was even close to that. Well, yeah, it's back to what what I was saying there earlier is, is I always try to stay after and and talk to the guys that bought, talk to the guys that were bidders. And I mean, this is a people business, no different than you guys in you know in, in sales. Whether you're remarketing to wholesales or you're the salesman down here on the floor, it's a people business at the end of the day. And uh, it's amazing how many people will come up to you and tell you they had no intentions of buying something, but they bought it, or they had no intentions of buying it, but they were the runner up on it. So back to what I was getting at there. If, you, if they're not there at the sale in the first place, you're not going to have those guys. They might not have thought they were a buyer and they ended up being a buyer. you know. But uh, when Fennel said it rained that day, well, yeah, there was a lot of people that came to that sale that would not have been there. You know, they rained them out of harvest for a couple of days or whatever. So, you know, at the end of the day, we control the things that we can control. And uh, no matter what the rumors were that day, I don't control the... The Chicago Board of Trade and the price of corn or wheat and, and John Deere Financial didn't didn't uh, didn't influence that market. I mean, it was just you do everything you can do, and when you get those little bumps, you don't you don't doubt it, and you just sit back and look at it and move on to the next one. Well, and another thing, another thing that you know when you think about that specific auction, it was I think it was July first, wasn't it? Yeah, it was July first, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, it was July first, right July at Imperial, Nebraska. Which is right around wheat cutting time. Right. Imperial is in the path of a custom harvest, you know, kind of in the middle of the custom harvest path. It was a custom harvester auction. So either they're coming through or they're there for a job or something. You got that whole thing, you know, the market's up, you got the farmers there. It was, you know, I've called it more than once the perfect storm. Yeah. And like Casey was saying with the, you know, auctions before that and auctions after that. For a, for a time period, not matching up, you know, I'm constantly analyzing auction results in the wholesale world, and I would, you know, I'd giggle for six months after that, because you're looking up auction data on combines, and be like, wow, that one really sold, oh, yeah, it was an Imperial, <laughs> well, look at this one, oh, shit, that was Imperial too, you know, it was, those, 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 it was, uh, it was a solid year before that we had combines one-year-old combines with those kind of hours on them whether they were whatever whether they were were uh 2016s that were one-year-old or 2015s that were that were one-year-old it was a solid year before that before the data represented the same spread between you know mdp and and what the auction value was i mean that was just like it was a perfect thing i mean you couldn't have asked for anything better yeah what, it was, what uh a little bit ago before we started this podcast i got in here a little early and casey and aaron was doing their job doing some equipment evaluations and they asked about a combine and i blurted out a number and and uh i of course i was way off but uh, i always tell everybody when they hire me my my job we got you know we got guys that uh, that uh, follow and use the market a lot better than i do my job is more marketing promoting that sale than 
you know, at the end of the day, if we're having a sale, it's a serious seller and it's absolute and the equipment's going to sell. And, you know, a lot of times the seller will want you to give them some ranges and give them what you think. But I always tell them at the end of the day, when you hire me, my, my, my focus is not on trying to figure out what your equipment is worth. It's how to market it and how to get it to the guy. You don't want me to spend, if you're going to sign that contract and we're going to have a sale. And I always say, I like 30 to 45 days of what I call marketing exposure, where that thing is on print and it's in the guy's hand. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not last minute trying to get to him, but you know, when the day they sign that contract, you want me working on that. You don't want me spending a week trying to figure out numbers and, and calling around because at the end of the day, it's going to sell and don't try to be smarter than the market. Just do everything you can do to get the market there, I guess is what I'm saying. The one thing that I, there's two different kinds of auctions out there. There's, there's a, a reserved auction where people can put down, which I don't know why I'm explaining it to my audience. Everyone knows what a reserved auction is, but you put, you have the number that if it didn't get that number, it doesn't sell. And then you have the absolute auction, which I am an utter and complete 100% fan of. You tell me your opinion of those two kind of sales. And you tell me, but but also tell me why your why your opinion of those sales is what it is. Well, in my in my experience, and I, I don't want you to think that uh, I'm going to tell you that I've sat here and been in this business 20, 25 years, or 30 years like some of these guys. But in, in my experience, I, I worked both ends. I worked both ends of that uh, aspect. Uh, company I was with before, you know, basically every sale that they advertised was not absolute. I mean, 90% of the equipment still sold, but they did not advertise absolute on there. Um, when, when Sullivan's advertised a sale absolute, it is absolute. Uh, but when this market changed from the $7, $8 corn days to where we're at now, the way I explain it to somebody when they're a seller and they're concerned with that, well, A, first of all, uh, if you're serious about selling, you know, you obviously we're sitting down having this meeting and you called me. So that's the first step. But if you're not serious about selling, I'm not serious about working for you because that's the reputation that we have. And it's something that we're not going to give up over one piece of equipment just to get a contract signed. But there's no secret with today's world and back to how much the internet and everything has changed this thing that when these, when these prices started to spread that gap, that we you guys talk about all the time from the dealer to the auction results from Midwest to where you guys are in Western Nebraska. It's it's not near as hard for the guys to get online and get to figure that stuff out, you know. So what I tell everybody is is as that trend has changed and that absolute auction, what we push and what we strive on is some of these companies that weren't doing that when things were good and times were good and when things started to change and a guy called from you know, four or five states away or however far away. And, you know, the, the guy on the phone kind of BS'd him through it. And, you know, yeah, yeah it's all oh, we got a serious seller and it's going to sell and he's motivated. And because the guy usually asks the question, is it going to sell or is it reserve? And the guy spends his time and goes and looks at the sale and he drives and goes, looks at it or comes to the sale. And then he finds out that, uh, well, hey, they jacked me out and they bought that thing back. You will never get that guy back to your sale again. He wasted his time to come look at a piece of equipment. So as that thing changed and as this market changed, uh, guys can go anywhere to buy equipment right now. Now when you got that unicorn 8400, that's the one to say. I mean, it's but when that absolute backs that up, those guys come out and they get more serious. But when you got the equipment that we've been moving the last three, four years, whether it's you know your your guys' sale that I had there in in 
14 and then one in 15, or you take SEMA and you take Sinclair, when you got that amount of equipment that you're moving and you're putting it on the market in one day, you, you got to have those people know you're serious about selling it to get them there. Cause like I said, if you, if, if they've, if they've been jacked around and they spend their time and they go look at something one time and they found out they no sailed it, you'll never get that guy to come back to a sale again. And it just gives them a bad auction taste in their mouth and i just i hate that one when guys call me and tell me those stories i just hate that well you think about it from the buyer standpoint too he's not gonna do he's not gonna put forth his effort whether it's lining up financing you know okaying it with the bank talking to partners whatever he's not gonna put forth the effort either because you don't know if he's gonna get it or not you could be the high bid and well thanks for coming hope you enjoyed your hot dog you know, whereas if it's absolute, he's taking the damn thing home. And we've talked about this before. You know, sometimes guys will want to know if we guarantee money. Well, that's not something that we get into and don't play that game. I mean, I'm going to tell you, we don't guarantee money and we don't write the check. And I tell everybody, if that's the case, we're an auction company. You're hiring us to sell it. You're hiring us to market it. We're an auction company. We're not in the buying business. And and if flip it around, if we were, we're going to be in that business to make money. And do you want me taking advantage of you or your situation and at the end of the day, you, you might be happy that day if I write you a check, but then we have a sale like South Forks or we have a sale like some of these sales that we've talked about where you just can't explain what happened. At the end of the day, that seller is going to sit back and go, whoa, boy, <laughs> that guy took advantage of me. And even though it was a fair deal and it was a deal and I, you know, I, I just think that's bad business in the future. I just like the way that we do it and we just do all we can and, and move ahead with it. But the absolute, Casey, I'm, I, I was on board with that. Uh, before I came to this company and, uh, you know, going to other sales, going to other people's sales, if you're serious about moving iron, that is the only way to move it. You know, put it on the market, do all you can do, and that's what it is. From a remarketing manager's perspective, the absolute sell to me is, is the only way to go and the only way to measure it because I'm not I'm not using auction value as a as a place where I'm going to go out and try to buy something at auction or, or try, to, try to buy it for less than auction or anything like that. I'm using that auction value as a as a bar as a bar out there that's going to say if I have to punch out and I have to get out of this piece of equipment and hit the eject button this is where my risk is this is what my risk is and when I when I'm going through auction results and I'm looking at something and I and, and the values that I'm looking at didn't come from a an absolute auction they came from an auction that was a reserved auction or they don't talk about being an absolute auction I throw that one out because I don't know if they actually sold that piece. I don't know what they actually sold it for. I don't know. I don't know the details enough to trust the information that's there. So to me, that absolute auction is is so important to know to know what that is. Just absolutely, I can't I can't stress that enough for that importance. Yeah, it's vital. You know, it, it, as you're looking at auction results, like like I do at least once a day on something, you you always got to know. You're exactly right, Casey. You throw it out because that that's your safety net. Now, if if we ever once got something traded for at auction, which we never do, it's always more than that. But that and that's what you're talking about the risk. How much over that are we going to be at? Because we know when push comes to shove, that's where that's where we're going to be at. Well, I guess I'm gonna go back one more thing on that absolute. Uh, just recently, I had a sale, and you know, a, a bank was involved, and. Um, not, not, it wasn't a forced sale by no means, but you know, Hey, uh, 90% of the sales we have, there's a bank involved. That's got a, that's got a blanket lien on, you know, and oh, no. it, it just says, yeah. 
all farm assets. So from day one, when the contract's signed, you reach out with them and you, you visit with them and communicate with them. But uh, this this particular gentleman I was dealing with, when he saw that absolute contract, he was very concerned, you know, and, and uh, he called me and we visited for a while. And uh, I told him, I says, well, in this situation, I said, what would you do with this equipment if you're not going to sell it at auction, you know? And course he didn't quite understand the 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 farm auction the the whole auction process so i walked him through it and i said i can assure you that this equipment will not sell any better anywhere in the country than lined up at this farm at a farm retirement sale you know i mean and when you tag the absolute on in front of it even just shores that up even more so you know we've talked before and and casey aaron and i you know joel these guys out here and when you know when when ben was here and we, we just always talk and ask questions and ask people's opinions, you know, well, you know, some of the, some of the lenders and some of those guys in those positions, we have to explain that to them too, you know, and, and I told this guy afterwards, after we had the sale, a very successful sale, you know, he come up and just thanked me for the communication and, 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 you know, basically explained that to him because, you know, even if you took that word absolute off the contract, I was explaining to him, well, how would you want me to do this? Would you want me to sell the tractor and then say, with an if, <laughs> and, 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 and then and then we roll up to the combine, and then what's the guys going to do on the combine? Keep their hands in the pockets, you know. Right. So at the end of the day, I understand that that you know some guys aren't gamblers, and that that's a, the, the word auction is just a big fear to them. But it's just the communication thing, and and just tell them your experience and, and what you truly, honestly believe, and not giving them a sales pitch. And what I was getting at there is that you know afterwards I talked with that banker for a long time, and I told him I said you know besides the the being an auction manager and signing the contracts hey i'm more than willing to to anybody whether you know i'm not going to tell you guys anything because you're smarter than me but you know if anybody out there just wants advice or wants an opinion hey i'm more than glad to come meet with you no obligation no anything and just and just tell you my tell you my opinion what you need to do what you don't need to do and i can assure you i walk away from just as many deals as we sign but in the future other things come of that you know so it's it's explaining that explaining that difference to some of those guys that don't understand that absolute from so-called security of having a reserve in it. Right. Well, and I, you know, there's probably a lot of in that specific situation, a lot of lenders that think, well, we're just going to line this shit up and see what happens. You know, and that's that's not the world we're in anymore. Just like Sullivan's, for example, there is a lot of stuff that goes into that that people don't see or don't you know or maybe aren't aware of that. That's not the case at all. It's a it's a real real deal. So you hit on it a minute ago, and I want to I want to hit that part where you talked about the state sales. So I have I have three classifications of auctions, and they're just they're Casey's classifications. Not hold on, everybody, hold not, on. Not some industry get, thing. Get a pen and paper, quick. <laughs> Mine is there. There's the consignment sale, which is. Everybody, every auction company has a yearly consignment sale where guys just show up with stuff and they put it out there. Then there's a liquidation sale, and that could be a dealer liquidation, either bringing down their inventory levels, or it could be a farm sale where a guy needs to generate cash or he's going out of business, right? And then the last one is the retirement sale where where John Farmer, John Q. Farmer is, is hanging it up. He's he's done all he can do. No one's coming back to the farm, and he's going to sell off all the stuff he has. So he hit, he hit a lick, and he's going to punch out. Hit a lick, and he's going to punch out. So when you uh, tell me your classifications, and then tell me why stuff at a retirement sale sells so much better than at 
but you see it at your typical dealer dealer liquidation. Well, I mean, it's just back to the, you know, I I don't like to get in front of the microphone and give speeches like some people do, but you guys will probably listen to this and think, boy, listen to that guy. But uh, there, before they sold that 8400, you know, I, I did tell a little story about it. And I mean, the tractor was just as legit as the day is long. I mean, it, it was bought new right down the road. And when you have that retirement sale setting, when the when a guy can see the place that it was used and see the shed that it was stored in and, 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 you know, see the rest of the equipment, you just, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, it's just the, um, you know, your jockeys don't care about that. Your jockeys don't care about that setting. Um, because when they take it to their lot, it's a whole new piece, you know, that's where they have to buy at that market. They have to buy at to be able to, to, to try to tell that story without somebody seeing it with their own eyes, you know? So, when you take those uh, retirement sales or estate sales, hey, you can't you can't paint any better picture than that. So, and in my experience in this business, and any of the bankers or lenders or anybody I've even dealt with, you know, if you can paint the picture, I always say paint the picture. If a guy is in the position that it might get to a forced sale, um, you know, let let me get involved at an early stage and explain the differences and where the numbers can be involved because. You go and you go and uh, label that thing as a forced sale. I've always said you can knock 25-30% off right away because people start thinking, well, boy, what did he neglect on maintenance? What did he neglect on this? And hey, a lot of times I've been in those situations and even if it is a forced sale, you you look at the maintenance records and you look at the things around there, some of the guys kept it up just like they did until the day that the money oh, shut yeah. off. So, you know, if you can get involved early, once again, I'm working for the seller. Um, you know, get involved early. And at the end of the day, when we have good sales results, that results, you know, rolls into other good sales for me. So uh, you just, you can't beat the, the retirement sale right on the farm. The consignment sale thing, um, that rolls back into what we talked about, absolute. Um, most of your consignment sales across the country are not absolute. I mean, they're just, they're, they're not. Some guys advertise them absolute. And, uh, it's you know it's 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 hard to control it. I will say from the auction company end, it's it's hard to control it to have a guy not bid and have a have a guy not have his neighbor back there bidding on it. Um, we do everything we can do um, from from you know the absolute contract to enforcing it to you know. But when you get that consignment sale setting, it just it is a little bit more difficult. But the consignment sale. We do every once in a while get some results at those consignment sales that kind of fall into that category of that 8400 but um if you're asking me my belief if you would have hauled that 8400 off that farm and put it somewhere else at our whether it was our consignment sale or any other auction company across the i just don't think it would have had that one in front of it no matter what even if you even if you had the same buyers there exact same marketing there because they didn't roll in there and see that pole shed that it was stored in yeah um, Chad Roush was the guy that bought that tractor new. He was there talking to people that day. It just, it just wasn't legit, you know? So in the dealer sale thing, you know, that's what we hit on there a little bit ago. Um, once again, there, it's not the original owner selling it. Even if it was traded in as the original owner, it's technically not the original owner anymore selling the stuff. And the guy's not there representing it up in the auction topper representing it. So it's just tough to duplicate that estate sale. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. Well, and I think, you know, you take you take farmer psychology into the thing, right? They are going to, especially if they're from the area and they're there, 
the retirement state sale or the estate sale, especially with an estate sale, they're going to pay a little more to for the quote unquote help the family aspect of it. You know, the consignment sale guy guy sees consignment sale and it could be one year old eight hours on a consignment sale, but they're going to think of the consignment Jump. sale that yeah has yeah. a WD forty five Alice on it with three tires instead of four. Yeah. You know, it's just that kind of mentality that I think drives a lot of that. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So, I, yeah, I think it's, it, it is a, it's night and day difference between the two. The one thing I will say, and this was the first time I'd, I'd seen this happen where they had done it the way they, they did it that way was during the Sinclair auction, Bob Sinclair was up in the topper and he was reading off everything that had was done to that machine. All the work orders were available how much they'd spent on each machine and what that. So a lot of guys in their head, in my opinion, were taking that like, okay, well, I can already knock that amount off because that's kind of what I figured anyway that it would need to get for, for reconditioning costs or whatever it was. So that did help. That actually helped spread, uh, send uh, values up. Oh, yeah. For the farmer buyer, that yeah. was oh, enormous. Geez. Enormous. Because he's rattling off some $20,000 work God, orders. You know, on 9770s, man. I'm like $25,000. Look at the new feeder house we put on. I'm like, I know. As soon as he starts rattling that, yeah, I nice. just lean back in the chair. I'm like, well, not getting that one bought today. Yeah. You know, and that's back to, as my end of it, as my end of it, when I go sit down with the seller, and and we sign a contract. I kind of got a checklist I go through. You know, I ask about titles on the vehicles and stuff like that. And a lot of times, I usually forget this one at the at the first first uh, go around. And then as we get through the process, but you know, I ask them for service records. And uh, if if they had that stuff serviced at the local deer dealer, you know, I go in there and get copies of it and put a folder of it in there because it it definitely doesn't hurt anything. Whether it helps anything or not, you know, hey. We can sit here and argue that, but I guarantee you know, how's it going to hurt anything? Um, but it amazes me that hey, I farm myself too, like I hit on earlier, and a lot of my neighbors are farmers, and we talk, and they call me and ask me my opinion of stuff, and I'm on the road, and you know, my uh, my wife always gets on me about when she tries calling me, and I was on the phone, but uh, <laughs> that's just part of that's the, the story of life. Yeah, that's just part Sorry of. Sorry, I was on the phone. Oh no, shit. That's just part of the business, <laughs> but. Uh, it amazes me is how many guys will tell me that they bought something at, uh, you know, so-and-so farm retirement sale or, you know, wherever they were at. And they'll say, well, yeah, then I went into the John Deere dealer or I called into their John Deere dealer and he just put $20,000 in that machine two years ago. And I'm not trying to, not trying to, to throw any auction companies or marketing companies or whatever they want to say under the bus, but Hey, that's back to, we're working for the seller. And when they hire you to do a job, they're just not hiring you to show up that day and, and, set up there and call the numbers and sell the sale i mean start to finish you're representing that equipment and it just it really really bothers me i guess when i hear those stories that somebody didn't a ask the seller or back to what aaron just said if it's an estate and dad passed away or somebody passed away and the kids are not from around there and don't know the history of the equipment that they didn't take it upon themselves to go find out if any of that work was done or what had been done to those machines, and, and and they just say, oh, it's field ready. Well, you guys know what it can cost to run a combine or a tractor through a shop when major repairs are done. So, kind of like they threw the shop. Does that mean they actually just drove it through the shop, or did they actually <laughs> take it into the shop? Well, yeah. that's a that's a that's a that's a term you hear a lot. So yeah, okay. we spent twenty five hundred in the shop. Well, shit, you must have just drove it through. That's a valet fee. Didn't stop. Yeah, it cost thousand dollars to open the door. All right, one last question, Zach, and then we'll close her down. 
looking at the first quarter of 2018, how's your, how's your auction bookings look? And then what do you think, as far as the trend line goes, what do you think auction values are headed? Well, as far as the auction bookings go, I mean, you can look at the, you can look at the website right now. And I mean, I, hey, I think there's probably at least, uh, you know, uh, 10 maybe nice equipment sales coming up on there. Um, I have one in Delaware coming up. We got one in uh, Blue Rapids, Kansas. And uh, you look at what uh, February and March comes, we get a calendar sent to us, you know, that uh, got sales that are marked on there, hold dates, you know. When somebody calls me and wants to talk about having a sale and I go meet with them, I don't push them into signing a contract that day. But if I think they're serious, I'll put some hold dates on the calendar. Hey, our uh, our uh, February, March is looking just about like our December and January did. Now, where those values are going to hold in there, we're going to find out next week. We got some nice sales next week. Um, I kind of thought after the first of the year, they're going to fall off just kind of at the end of the year spending money. But I'm going to tie in some real estate here. There's been some land sales that I followed, uh, whether in my part of the country and Northeast Indiana, Ohio, and over in there, or some that Sullivan's are selling in, you know, Illinois or Missouri or Iowa, the land is held in there a lot better than I thought it would. Plus a lot of these bankers thought it would. So it's just back to the same old thing. Uh, Hey, there's there's some more money out there than everybody thinks. But as far as the as far as the uh, amount of sales booked, I think we're going to see a lot of numbers continue up right until planting. Uh, I'm going to take the politician approach here, Casey, and I'm going to bow out on where the values are going to be because uh, I'll let Mr. Fennell address that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I don't see any uh, drastic uh, landslides in the downward position, but uh, I think it might might correct itself just a little bit or maybe not say correct itself but we don't we don't know what the correction is but maybe not quite as strong as what they were at the end of the year just because of those guys spending money but by no means am i going to go out on a go out on a limb and say we're going to continue seeing record sales by no means but okay when's the best time to have an auction best two months July 1st, uh, July, <laughs> July 1st, 2015, call Marty McFly quick. <laughs> we need the DeLorean. Uh, you know, Hey, once again, you'll hear that you'll hear the typical auctioneer that comes in there and tries to sell the deal. I get that question every single time. I get that question every single time. I usually sit down with somebody. Um, the typical auctioneer spiel is going to give you, you know, the late November to the end of the year, December. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe in that near as much as what everybody else does. First of all, it comes back to what fits the seller. You know, what fits the seller? Uh, if, a, if a guy's trying to push you to the December, end of December, because that's what he thinks is the market, I want to more look at the equipment and say, can you be ready by then? Can we market it right by then? Um, you know, if he's if he's uh, over leveraged in some high dollar planted planters and, and sprayers and more spring stuff than he is fall stuff, um, you know, I don't think it's going to hurt to flip him into the first of the year and go February or March because I don't care what profession you're in, whether you're a farmer or whether you're, uh, you know, selling used equipment or no matter what you're doing, there's procrastinators out there and you wouldn't believe how many guys get to February or March and they go to them December, January sales and they get blown out of the water and then they're in panic buying. So, um, once again, Casey, I'm not going to let you pin me down on it because I've, I've, bounced around those dates and i've had successful sales all the way through there and i've had some sales that you know if a guy tells you he never had a he never had a sale that was on the downside he's lying to you you just learn from him and move on but um 
I, I just look at the situation and like I said, what does it take to do it right instead of rush into a time frame? A lot of guys called on that South Fork sale July 1st and just said, what are you doing? You're crazy. And that was the time frame we had to make work and make do it. So, I mean, it, you just do everything you can for the situation, I guess. You know, and as a kid, I can remember, you know, getting the Midwest Messenger newspaper. Back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> and it... They always had the, you know, like an old picture at the top and then auction dates below that. January, get a little taller. February and then March, they wouldn't even have room for a picture. It was all auctions. So, you know, in theory, from when I was a kid, you know, say 80s, 90s to today, March has always been real, real popular month too, as far as auction dates. And, you know, I would agree with you. If you're doing a bunch of combines and stuff, don't sell them in March. But... I, I think there's a lot to be had with that last second, you know. We got a bunch of tillage equipment, planter, a bunch of tractors. Mar March March is a good time. And you guys have don't you guys have a consignment? Yeah, we're big consignment. I think it's March, March uh, 14th or 15th there this year. You know, we always have one there. Um, and like I said, it's just back to it's back to the. Uh, don't, don't try to be smarter than your buyer. Just just look at look at what you think. Look at the area you're in. And I I always say there's a there's a big arrogance that comes with the with the auctioneer. And I don't if you if you go across the country and you talk to auctioneers, I will tell you that uh, and I'm not an auctioneer. I always say I, I'm an auction marketer. But I got an auctioneer's <laughs> license, but Zach Heiner don't sell. I can, but that's not what you pay me to do, you know. But the the actual auctioneer when you talk to these guys across the country they're just an arrogant they're just an arrogant personality and i think you guys would agree and i just I think you have to be you have to be yeah uh, i mean you be. can't let the crowd take control but but um what i on the show what i always say too is is you know if i'm working back again working for the seller i do my due diligence and if you got if you got a sale i like to look at a couple dates and throw some holds on the calendar and i like to call around and check and make sure there's nothing other big events that day you know you want to do everything you can do and people's time is so limited these days that you to get somebody to commit to, to either whether they're watching online for a few hours or they're coming to the sale. So that all plays into effect on scheduling and when we do sales and timing and everything, I guess, when I look at it from my end. Well, I think that do, that'll do it for uh, for this episode. Either you guys have any last closing thoughts? Don't. Okay. Well, if you're looking for Zach, you can find him on the second Tuesday in November when he's running for office. So just, <laughs> so just, just jump in there and you can find him there. So, All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Aaron and Zach for being on this edition. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit, MovingIronLLC.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review at your favorite podcasting platform, or you can shop the Amazon click-through at, at Moving Iron LLC. It won't cost you anything, and you'll have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.